Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams concludes the series entitled, Lives of Religion. In this message, Brandon looks at the lie that our salvation is only about us. We are called to go and make disciples, but for many people, their faith is only a personal issue. What is Christ calling you to do in order to begin sharing your faith? Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Woo-hoo. Yep, everybody's awake. That's good to see. Glad you guys are here. I'm um, very excited about what God has already done and, and just the, the, um, everything that he's got planned for this morning. We're going to finish up this uh, Lives of Religion series today. Um, but first of all, I do want to just say one more time. Listen, uh, if, you, if you haven't been baptized, you received Christ and, and you have not been baptized, um, you can still sign up. We want to we want to baptize you. We want to encourage you to take that next step of faith um, to be obedient to what Jesus told us to do and be baptized. You can still sign up and do that, and we'll do that this afternoon, four o'clock. Meet in the parking lot. It's always an incredible time. Um, just one of my favorite things that we do here at this church is going out to the Geechee River and baptizing. So, really want to encourage you to do that. If you're going to be baptized, just wear like uh, shorts and a dark colored T-shirt. Right? Um, and, and be here at 4 o'clock. Bring a towel. You can bring a change of clothes. There's a bathroom out there you can change afterwards. Uh, but just, just make sure you, know, you bring um, some things to change into if you'd like to do that. All right, everybody ready? We're going to be in the book of Jonah today. So go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. The last lie that we're actually looking at is that our salvation is about us. Right? And, and we're going to dive into that and, and look at that today. I'm excited about what I have seen this week through uh, the book of Jonah, and as I've been preparing for this message over the last few weeks. One thing that is pretty cool today, we are actually going to read the entire book of Jonah. It's only like 48 verses, so don't freak out, don't panic. It's about 48 verses. And here's the cool thing about it. If you've never read an entire book of the Bible, when you walk out of here today, you can say, I have read an entire book of the Bible. So that's pretty cool, right? We're going to read every single verse, and so you can track with me on that. And we're going to begin in chapter 1, which is a pretty logical place to begin, right? So we'll start there, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's the longest section in here, and then we're going to dive in. So we're looking today at how our salvation is not just about us. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. He said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is 
because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. In other words, we're about to kill this guy, Lord. Don't blame us. O Lord, you, O Lord, have done this as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish, not a whale, a great fish, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and just ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that God, today we would draw close to you, because God, your word tells us if we'll draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. And so God, we come to you, and uh, God asks that your presence would be here, that you would empower this word to change our hearts, to, to begin to, uh, or continue to recreate us in your image, that we could shine your glory to this world. We love you, God, and thank you. Thank you so much, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many Little League coaches we got here today? Anybody coach Little League? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hands in the air. I see a few hands up. A few hands up. Little League soccer, Little League baseball. I have coached my son's Little League teams for the last few years. And you, like, you should receive many crowns for coaching Little League teams. I've had all kinds of teams. I had one football uh, team that we had one little boy on the team that um, no matter what we were doing, he just ran around making choo-choo sounds. He just ran around the, the field all the time going, woo-woo, woo-woo. And so trying to get them to line up and do things, it was crazy. And right now I'm coaching my son's seven- and eight-year-old Little League uh, team. And, and one of the things that happens without fail, we've been doing this now for five, six weeks, and without fail, every game, after every inning that we bat, um, as we get our three outs, we're going back out into the field. I go over to the dugout, and every child, all 13, run out to me. That's a lot of energy, 13, 7, and 8-year-olds. And all of them come running out to me, and they look at me, and they begin to call out the positions that they want to play. And they're like, I want to play pitcher, 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 I want to play. You like slap them on the back of the head, it's like a, it's like a record that gets stuck. So you just kind of pat them, pop them on the back of the head, get them a hug. They're like, I want to play pitcher, I want to play pitcher. And somebody else is going, I want to play first, I want to play first, I want to play first, I want to play first. And somebody else is going, can I stay in this time? I'm like, yes, that is one thing. If you, you stay in. And, and because you can only put 10 people in. So you're just like, thank you that you want to stay in because I do not want a parent angry at me because their kid didn't play, right? And so there's all this stuff going on. And they're just yelling out position after position. And I want to play this. I want to play that. I want to play this. I want to play that. And so I made up this rule that I thought would work, but it hasn't worked, where I say, listen, if you ask me to play a position, you're not playing that position. That don't work. They, they, say, they do it anyway. I want to play pitcher. Well, you're not playing pitcher because you, you, we did this. Johnny, where were you Monday? You're not playing pitcher. And then they're like, why can't I play pitcher? And you want to go, because you can't catch. That's like, that's like what you want to say, you know, but you can't say that. And so you don't say it. But, but they're like, I want to play pitcher. And, and they call out. But you know the one thing I've never had happen? I've never had one of our players come out to me and go, you know, Coach, Johnny has had an excellent game today. And I really think it would be a good idea if he played pitcher. I've never had that happen. And why, why, don't, why doesn't that happen? It doesn't happen because they are completely consumed with their own position. Right? They're, they're completely worried about is, what position do I get to play? What position am I going in this, this time? Where am I going this time? 
I've never had one of them say, I really think he should play pitcher. They've never come to me and argued for somebody else to play another position. They're only concerned with their position. And I think for us as a church, we can fall into that trap very easily. That we get so consumed with our position, that with our place, that ultimately we forget about the other people who aren't in the position that they need to be. In this scripture, God is trying to get Jonah to go to a people who aren't in a place that they need to be. He even says this, he says in the end of of Jonah, he says, listen, they don't even know their left hand from their right. In other words, they're so spiritually blind, they, they don't even know their left hand from their right. They are spiritually blind. I need you to go tell them. But I think sometimes in church, what happens to us is we get okay with God. And because we're okay, we forget about everybody else who's not. We need to quit being so consumed, guys. We need to begin to realize more and more and more as we grow closer to Christ that that it's about us going and carrying the compassion of God to other people. That it's about us loving people. It's about us going and connecting them with God and with each other. And there has to become a point where we realize we are surrounded by people who don't know their left hand from their right. And it's our job to go to them. For some of us, most of us probably, we've sat in church for quite a while. And church and salvation was always like the destination. It was like when, when you've got your GPS on and it finally says, arriving at destination. Right? Arriving at destination on right. And you're like, I don't even see it. it because it, was, it always leads us straight. But listen, it's kind of like we think salvation is the ending point. And the truth of the matter is salvation isn't the ending point. It is the beginning point of a new life. And one thing that we have to realize is that at the moment that we come to Christ, at the moment we come to salvation, salvation ceases to be about us. And salvation begins to be about other people. And we turn our focus to other people. What I want to encourage you with today, guys, is this that our salvation isn't about us, that we need to pursue others the way God pursues us. Amen. place very much. Some of my saddest days have been spent in this place. It's really hard to say goodbye to somebody that you love. In the past, you know, people handle, they handle death in different ways. For me, it always made me angry. I'd start out being angry at God and then before I knew it, I was just angry with everybody. I recently lost my best friend. There was such an outpouring of love toward her and toward me that anger just didn't seem to be an option. I look around this place and there's one thing I realize. There's nothing here. It's just monuments. David said in Psalm 23 that 
though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, Christ took on death for us. I get a lot of comfort in knowing that you know, Kelly didn't even make the ride over here. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with, with God. This is my grandmother's church. She's 97. Never misses a Sunday that I know about. She uh, asked me about my church when we were starting the church. She asked me about it, and I told her, I said, you know, basically, Grandma, we're going we're gonna to love God, and we're going to love people. She said, oh, you're starting a church just like ours. She made me realize that the concept of, of Connection Church was not a, a new concept. The last couple of years, I've had this feeling that I was missing something. Like there was something I was supposed to be doing, and I wasn't doing it. I would oftentimes have this vision of just being before Jesus and Jesus looking at me and saying, Chip, I only ask you to do one thing. And you didn't do it. Well, what is that one thing? Jesus said that the law and the prophets could be summed up in two commandments. Love thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy soul. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, all that time I spent praying for God's will. Now, why would he show me his will when I wasn't doing the first thing? Jesus takes us a step further and he says, love each other as I've loved you. Well, how did he love us? He loved us when we were unlovable. You know, I think it's kind of sad that it took losing my best friend for God to get my attention. What I learned from Kelly was how to live my life, how God intends for me to live my life how to do the first thing that God told us all to do. The other night I had a dream. It was very real. In that dream I was sitting in a waiting room and there was a man sitting with me. And he asked me if I wanted to play cards with him to kind of pass the time. We started playing cards and he was, he was winning every hand. And the more he won, the more obnoxious he got. Until I realized when he laughed at me with this really obnoxious laugh, I realized that I was playing cards with Satan. And he looked right at me and he said, Chip, you can't win. So I threw my cards down and I pushed away from the table. And I said, if I can't win, then I'm not playing. And immediately he disappeared. And then I woke up. I was just had that dream on my mind and I was talking to God about the dream and he was like, he was telling me, you don't have to play Satan's games. He's been playing these same games since the beginning of time. And you don't have to play his game. Well, I thought about all that and 
I was thinking to myself, you know, if if Christ has already won the victory, then why does it why does it appear that Satan is winning? I mean, there's so much evil. There's so much bad stuff in the world. And I read a quote from Edmund Burke. And he said, For evil to prevail, all that needs to happen is for good people to do nothing. Now, we, we live in a sick and dying world. But we need to learn how to play God's game. And the way that works is he pours out his unconditional love on us. And we take that love and we pour it out on a sick and dying world. And when we do that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is what, that is what it means to be the church. People, we, we've got to realize that we are surrounded by folks who are dying, who are thirsty, who are hungry. We, we need to realize that we have the living water of God. If we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God, the living water of God that we can offer those who are dying of thirst. We have the, the living bread that we can give those who are hungry so that they will never thirst, that they will never hunger again. And listen, if you aren't in Christ, then today that is available to you. That Jesus will come into your life and give you something that will sustain you through all seasons. But we've got to decide when are we going to do it? Why aren't we doing it? Why, why, why do we take it so lightly? Why don't we go out and be the church? Why don't we go out and share the love of God? Why is that not the first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning and the last thing we think about when we go to bed at night? Why does it consume us? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about a few things. I want to share with you why I believe we don't. We don't go out. That we're not the church outside of these walls. That we're not carrying the, the message of hope, the gospel, the good news to this world that so desperately needs it. Why well, I believe the world is so confused about what Christianity is, what Christianity isn't, and who God is. Today we're going to look at that. Out of this first chapter, the, the, the first thing I want to tell you is this, that, that I believe the number one, re- one, the first reason that we don't Go out and do the things that God is telling us to do. And this is so simple, but it's so true. We refuse to take the next step that God's telling us to take. We absolutely 100% refuse to take the next step that God is telling us to take. And see, here's the thing that stinks about that question. That really stinks is every one of us sitting in here today, God's telling us to do something. Right? He's telling us to take another step in some direction. But, but, but the thing that is, is so many of us are resisting that. What is God telling you? If you don't know, ask him. He will tell you. He will show you. But the thing that we have to do is come to a place where we are honest with ourselves. How many of you have ever watched parents when they get on to their children? Right? They're telling them to do something. And they just refused to do it. The other night, Jackson, my four-year-old, he's going through this stage, man. He's like hard, more hard-headed right now than he was when he was two. 
Okay, like terrible twos. We don't need the terrible fours. And he just does his own thing. And, and the other day, um, we were in the bathroom, and, and I, I handed him his toothbrush, and I said, Jackson, brush your teeth. And he just looked at me. Like this. You know, he gets that look in his eye like, no. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, Jackson, brush your teeth. And then, you know, you kind of have to get mean. So I'm like, Jackson, this is the deal, bud. Brush your teeth or it's going to be bad. And then he does this. And, you know, he's just seeing how far he can push me, right? Or you see parents and and the kids are acting up and they're like, I'm going to come over there and spank you. Kids like, whatever. He keeps going. I'm going to come over there. I'm going to spump out to tear your tail up. He keeps going. And then the thing about it is the parent does what then? One. <laughs> two. Three. If you don't come over here, I'm going to spank you. Right? And then you start over. One. And the kid, not, he's like that not do anything. Nothing's going to happen. They refuse to do the thing that you tell them to do. And here's the reason why they know that they can push you just a little bit further and they take your patience and they take the room that you offer them and they absolutely maximize it and abuse it. But you know, the thing is we do the same thing as children of God. We do the same thing. We serve a God who is very patient, who was very kind, who was very loving. And, and, and as Romans 2, 4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads us, leads us to repentance. And he's given us this amazing room to come back to him. I mean, if I were God, like when I created everything, it would have been like a dry erase board. I mean, dry erase boards are awesome, right? You write on them and then you erase them. When I, if I were God, I would have created the world. Adam and Eve sinned. I would have erased it. And start it over. It only took seven days, right? I mean, you could have done it again. Seven days, you got a whole new world. It's perfect again. God didn't do that. God had a plan. He left room. But the thing for us is we know that God's telling us to take our next step. We know it may be salvation. Listen, you may not know Christ. You may be apart from God, separated from God, because you've never come to Christ. Because we cannot approach a holy God as imperfect as we are. The only way we can come to God is through Jesus Christ who was perfect and took the wrath of God that should have been ours. And and we just don't realize that. And so some of us, our next step is to take that step of coming to Christ. Or some of us is to get baptized this afternoon. I mean, Jesus said it, didn't he? Yeah. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go be baptized. Take that next step of faith. Make a public profession that I am a Christian. Maybe it's getting in a connect group. I don't know. Maybe it's starting to serve and starting to pour back into people's lives. But whatever the next step that God's telling you to take is, you need to take it. We need to begin to take that. I'll tell you just a few reasons why I think we don't take the next step. A few reasons why we don't take it. The first one is this. This is underneath point one. So if you want to call this A, you know, whatever. That I believe my way is the best way. How about Jonah, right? Tarshish was in the exact opposite direction of, of Nineveh. And he thought, I can do this and get away with it. I can go my own way and get away with it. The problem is, and if you read it, it cost him something immediately. As soon as he walked away from God, it cost him. It, it, he had to go down and pay a fare to flee from God. And isn't it funny that he said, I'm going to flee from the presence of God? 
as if you could. And he gets on this ship, and here's the thing about it. It didn't just cost him. It cost everybody around him. It cost them the cargo. It almost cost them their lives. And we are arrogant, and and we are out of our mind if we think that my sin, my running from God, my not taking my next step is only going to affect me. It affects everyone around us. Do we believe that my way is the best way? Now, probably if you asked Jonah, he would have probably said, no, God's way is the best way. Well, then why are you going the opposite direction? And for us, I believe it's the same way. We would probably not say that. We probably wouldn't say my way is the best way. If someone asked, we would say God's way is the best way. But do our actions indicate that? Are we truly going after God? Are we going after our own way? Number two is this, that I believe my success is based on wins and losses. And the world's a scorekeeper. Man, when, when, when Dake, our oldest son, started playing t-ball, we got out there and I was pumped up, man, which if there was any other way to get to heaven other than like Jesus, I think it would probably be like coaching t-ball. I mean, I gotta be like, listen, dude, seriously. You know, but it, it's crazy. It's like herding cats. I mean, they're all over the place. And the funniest thing is like the ball's hit and everybody runs over to the ball. And it's just a big dog pile, and they're all under there. And then finally one kid stands up like this. And, and you know, the team that wins, which you don't really know who wins, but the team that wins is just whoever has the most players on the team because they all hit the ball. Well, usually they hit the tee, and the ball rolls off the tee, and then they run around the bases. And, and, and so whoever has the most players win. But here's the thing that blew me away. We got out there, and they were like, you know what? I was like, where's, where's the scoreboard? scoreboard? Scoreboard's not on. They're like, oh, we don't keep score." kind of game is this well we 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 just let them all think that they all win oh so you lie to them i'm like because like seriously this is just me but i think you ought to know if you got your butt kicked i mean i think that's part of what's wrong with the world today we we like try to make everything all right you know what i'm saying you win sometimes you lose sometimes But the thing that that gets ingrained in us and the thing that we fall into so many times is that we let our value, we let our life, we let our our, um, happiness, our joy be based off of the wins and losses that we have in this world. We allow the culture of this world to begin to dictate the things that we're going to do. And listen, guys, this is the problem with that. We begin to fall into a fear of failure. We fall into a fear of failure, and the problem with that is we will never do what God wants us to do until we begin to fear God more than we fear failure. There has to be a point in our life where I say, you know what, I would rather try and fail than not try at all. And there comes a point when we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, God, I'm going to serve you. And no matter if I win in the world's eyes or if I lose, I'm not going to let the world dictate what I do for you. I see people all the time who they have a dream in their heart, their heart, they have something they want to do. And the thing that holds them back is fear of failure. I was talking to a guy this week. and He's like, I know God's called me to do this, but I'm so afraid that I'm just going to fail. I'm like, look at me. You've already won. You're in Christ. That's the biggest win you'll ever have. 
You've won. Now do what God's telling you to do because the only way you're going to be judged is if you're obedient. You're not going to be judged on how successful you were by the world's, the world's eyes and by the world's scoreboard. When you stand before God, he's not going to go, well, you know, you failed at this. He's going to look at you and he's going to go, well done, good and faithful servant. You did everything that I asked you to do. So that our life and our success is based on have I been obedient to God? Have I done the things that he's called me to do? Am I willing to do that? The third one is that I believe I'm the sum total of what others perceive me to be. His hinders us so much. I believe that I'm the sum total of what others perceive me to be. I guarantee you that everybody in this room deals with that in some way. And the one who says they don't deals with it the most. I guarantee you, we struggle so much with people's perception and at some point in our life, we have to get to a place where what God thinks of us overshadows what anyone else thinks of us. How jacked up is it that we let an inanimate scale dictate what we think about ourselves? Ladies, guys don't care. Like, give me another French fry. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? But we get on a scale and if it doesn't say what we think it needs to say, It devalues us. Who's pumping that junk in our head? How jacked up is it that that our value is based off of what, what, what kind of car we drive? How many Facebook friends we have? Seriously? Or, or what kind of neighborhood we live in. Or here's the problem for other people that, that they, they've done some junk in their past and everybody has. It's just some of us hit it better than others. But we've done some stuff in our past, and so now we know that people know that, and so that's who we've become. But see, the good news of the Scripture is this. When you come to Christ, you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're not that anymore. If you're in Christ, you've been born again. That is the point. We were all screwed up. And now God has come to make us new to give us new life, and he calls us to go and to share that with other people. We are not the sum value uh, of what other people perceive us to be. Thank God. You know, when somebody looks at you and they devalue you, whatever, I got, whatever, whatever, and you go to God, the one that the Bible says sings over you and rejoices in you. Man, if God's rejoicing in you, what do you care what anybody else thinks? If God's celebrating you because you're in Christ, what do we care what anybody else thinks? Go after God. Pursue him and pursue other people the way he's pursued you. Think about it like this. If we, were, if we are what people thought about us, then Jesus' life was a failure. You remember the end of his life? He didn't have anybody. They all deserted him. His life was a failure. If it was based off of what other people perceived him to be. Because they all gave up and they all left. But the truth of the matter is, he was obedient to his father. And what his father said was what mattered. He knew that his father was pleased with him. And from that, he lived that out. He lived for his father and didn't care what anybody else. Y'all remember when he was sitting by the well and the disciples came up with some Happy Meals or something? And they were like, hey, Jesus, you want something to eat? He said, I got food y'all know nothing about. My food's to do the will of the father, the one who sent me. He was so consumed with his father. He was so consumed with obedience that what other people thought, talking to a Samaritan whore. Jews didn't do that. And they walk up and he's like, you know what, guys? 
I don't care what you think. I'm doing what my father sent me to do. Church, we need to begin to care more about what the father has sent us to do than what other people think about us. If you're stuck in the past, listen to me. There is a God in heaven who died so that you can move beyond the past into your future. Your past does not dictate where you go with God. God has recreated you. He has given you a new spirit. No matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with, God can restore you back to him. And he has offered that to us through Jesus Christ. The fourth one is this, that I believe I can fight against God and win. You know what happened, man? When, when, they, when they realized it was Jonah, and he's like, just throw me in the sea. They, they're like, no, man, well, let's just row a little bit harder. Let's row a little bit harder. And they start rowing. They keep rowing harder and harder and harder, didn't they? And like, we're going to get to the end of it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it, Jonah. Don't worry. They were fighting against God. You know you can't fight against God and win. That doesn't even make sense, does it? To think that I could actually fight against God and win. How many of you like to go um, out to like Splash in the Borough, Whitewater in Atlanta, and get in the Lazy River? Anybody? Lazy River? Anybody? Anybody? It's nice, isn't it? And like I said, when you got like a bunch of kids and you're trying to keep them from drowning, then it's kind of hard. But, but you get in the Lazy River and you just kind of lay back on a float. And, and, and if you're like me, like, like an albino Sasquatch laying up on the float, belly sticking up, little kids are going, Mama, look at the porpoise. And, you know, it's like, and so you're just laying there. Sun beating off, people are putting on sunglasses because like, it's so bright, ricocheting off your belly, you know, it's like, you know, and, and, and you get in there and it's so awesome because it just takes you around and you're just walking, you're just going, you know, you can kind of run and, and it's real easy or you can just sit back in the little, the, little, the little donut floatable device, thing, whatever that thing's called, and you sit there and it just takes you around. But the problem comes when it's time to get out. And you start trying to get out and you start trying to get your kids over there. And then pretty soon you're like having to try to walk against it. And you can't hardly do it. And and you got the kids and then one of them gets away and you're like, dang it. And so you have to go back around again. You know what I'm talking about? And you're fighting against that lazy. You're fighting against the current. And I guarantee you this, people. There are folks in here today who are worn out and exhausted because you're fighting against God. Refusing to take the next step. You can't win. You cannot fight against God and win. What is he telling you to do? He has left room for you to come back. He's left room for you to turn around. We can't win fighting against God. You know, you can fight against that current for a little while, but you can't do it forever. Right? Pretty soon you try to walk backwards in the lazy. You're going to get tired. It wouldn't take me long. About ten steps, I'm like... Just start floating again. You know what? You can't fight against God. You can do it for a little while, but you're not going to make it. What's God calling you to do? What's he telling you to do? Fifth thing that keeps us refusing. I believe this is, this is, this is huge. I believe if I ignore it, it'll go away. I believe if I ignore it and pray about it enough, it'll just go away. Anybody ever thought that other than me? If I ignore it, it'll just go away. It doesn't, does it? You ever notice how it always shows back up every time you think you've gotten rid of it? Because it just doesn't go away. But here's the good news. Jesus died for it. Jesus overcame it. 
And because of that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the boldness of God so that we don't have to run from it anymore. We can turn around and face it. And we're in, I guarantee there are people here today who are into some things. You're, you've been battling with some things. And let me tell you this. It's not going away until you face it. And let me tell you how you face it. You bring it into the light. You bring it into the light. You go and you find somebody. You find another brother. You find another sister in Christ. You come to them and you say, I've got to tell you something. It won't go away. And then every time it tries to rear its ugly head because Satan is a stubborn and persistent foe, he's going to bring it back up again. You take it back into the light because here's the good news. Satan can't live in the light. He can't. And the Bible says that Jesus is light. When we take it before Christ, when we take it to another brother, another sister, it can't live in the light. No matter what. But we've got to be willing to take our next step. We've got to be willing to take that next step, to do what God's calling us to do. For many of us today, the next step is to bring it, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, into the light. What is it? And every time it tries to come back and drag you into darkness, you realize it's not your fight. And you take it to God. He defeated him on the cross. He said, it is finished, meaning it is over. I have overcome death and the grave. I have overcome the curse of sin. And now you can live free from it. Let's look at chapter 2. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look at, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Anybody feel like they, maybe they've been to the pit of hell? Isn't it awesome to know that God will bring you back from the pit, back from the brink? You brought me back from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. The second thing I think we have to realize if we are going to do the things that God has called us to do is we, we, I think what the problem is we haven't discovered that God is our greatest gain, that Jesus is our greatest reward. We need to realize that the greatest thing we gain is Christ. But see, I know we haven't done that yet because how many of us live for God when things turn bad, but we don't when things are good? Right? I mean, we do that. I mean, here Jonah is. He gets swallowed up by this big fish. He just got cast into the sea. Now think about this. Anybody's going to pray when they're in the belly of a big fish. Right? I mean, he got swallowed up by this big fish. Of course he's going to pray. I'd be praying too. I'm like, God, I don't know how I'm getting out of this one. But how many times do we do that? It's easy to pray when you're in the belly of a big fish, but how about when we're riding a wave of momentum? 
How about when things are going good? Do we depend on God then? Do we realize how badly we need God when everything seems to be going well? Are we living for God every day? And the reason that we aren't is because my salvation is about me. And as long as I feel okay about me, I don't have to worry about other people. Are we living for God every day or just when things don't look so good? How many of you have ever tried to bargain with somebody? Like barter even. Trade things off, right? You remember when you were in school? What was the best day? Some of you will remember this. What was the best day at school when you got to lunch? Anybody remember the day? Chicken. Man, what, what school did y'all go to? Wednesday. Because you had fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, and those big old cinnamon rolls. Y'all remember those things? I don't think they get those anymore. But they were awesome. And you know what? You would do anything, anything you could to get somebody else's cinnamon roll. But they wouldn't let you have it. Nobody would give up their cinnamon roll. Nobody. In fact, most of the kids, you remember this, they would sit down at the table and they'd lick it. Because then they knew like you wouldn't take it unless you were really gross. But you just try to eat around it. Or they take it and lick it. Because they weren't giving up their cinnamon roll. And they were good. They were good. And we try to beg and You know what? Nobody's giving up their cinnamon roll for turnip greens. I'm sorry. But you ever notice, like, if a kid actually liked turnip greens, he had it made because he could just eat all he wanted. Nobody wanted them. And, and so you can get that. But nobody's giving up their cinnamon roll. You know what we try to do with God? We try to come to him and barter. We try to come to him and beg. We, we, we try to come to him and, and bargain with God. Anybody ever done that? I mean, Jonah did that. He says, what I have vowed, I, I will pay. God, get me out of this fish. And what I have vowed, I will pay. And we barter and we beg. And we, we, we tell God, if you will, I will. The problem is, though, in order to get somebody to do what you want them to do by bartering with them, by bargaining with them, you have to have something that they need and that they want. Does God need anything we got? No. He doesn't. It don't work. Are we living for God every day? Or, are we okay? or, or, or do we feel like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm not worried about it. Let's go to chapter 3. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose, arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who, know, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The third reason that I believe we don't do this is because at the deepest part of who we are, we really don't believe the message. At the deepest part of who we are. How many of you have ever got an envelope in the mail and on the outside of the envelope it said you won? Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It's like got a one there and it's got like a bunch of zeros. What'd you do with it? You threw it in the trash. Like I've never seen anybody get that in the mail and be like, woohoo! Yeah! 
and run out in the street and be like, hey, I won. Going to the neighbors, knocking on the door. Look, man, I won. I'm a winner. I won. Like they call their boss up. Hey, man, you're a jerk and I quit. I got this envelope and I'm done. See you later. Nobody's ever done that. Why not? Because they don't believe the message inside. They don't believe the message inside. And I wonder if the reason we don't share the gospel, the reason we don't open our Bibles, is because at the core of who we are, we never really believed the message inside. I wonder if maybe that's why we don't have any urgency to go out and tell other people the gospel. Is because like that envelope, we don't believe the message that's inside. Listen, if we believe it, it changes everything. You cannot tell me that if we believe that there is an eternity, that we believe that there is a heaven, that we believe there is a hell, it does not change the things we think about. It does not change the way we live. It does not change the urgency in which we carry this message. If we believe in eternity, heaven, and hell, then there is something in us that says, I've got to tell other people. But if we don't believe it, then why would we tell it? We do the same thing with it that we do with the envelope. We throw it away. And we wonder why it has no impact in our life. Listen, people, do we believe what we say we believe? If we do, there should be an urgency within us to share the gospel. There should be an urgency within us to proclaim. Maybe today God pricks your heart for the first time. Maybe you've been sitting in church for a long time, and today God finally pricks your heart and says, you know what, you've never believed this. And today, you need to make that decision that not only am I going to say I believe it, but my actions are going to prove it. You know the funny thing about Jonah? They asked Jonah, they're like, who are you? Where are you from? It was kind of like when you come to Statesboro, and they're like, who's your mom and daddy? That's kind of like what they were doing. Who's your mom and daddy? And, 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 and they're asking this, and he says, well, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so, and you know what? I fear the Lord. Really? I couldn't tell. If you fear him so much, why are you doing the exact opposite of what he's told you to do? That's what Jonah was doing, going the opposite way. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in, your, in my country? He's mad because they repented and God didn't destroy the country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plan and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And he, he was brave. And the Lord said, 
You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity that great city in Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Fourth, last reason, is that we're not willing to show the same compassion that we've received. We're not willing to show the same compassion. You ever been to eat, eat lunch with somebody? I had, I had this happen to me many times where you go to eat lunch with somebody and the first time you go, you're like, dude, I got this. They're like, one check or, or two. And you're like, just bring one. I got this. And, and so you're like, cool. And he's like, no, no, let me get it. Let me get it. And you're like, no, seriously, you get it next time. But then you go back to eat with that person again. And they come out and they're like, and you kind of think it in the back of your mind, like they got this. And, and, and then you, they come out and they're like, um, one check or two. And they're like, two. You feel like you got cheated, right? You feel like you got cheated. I mean, because here's the deal. We believe so much in that, that, that saying of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? We believe that, especially when it's being done unto us. But when it's being done unto others, it's not so important. Because so many times we're not willing to give the same compassion, the same mercy, the same forgiveness to other people that we've received. And that's a problem. If we have received the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God, it is our responsibility to then turn around and share that. I believe this, it is 100% impossible For us to receive the love and compassion of Christ and and, and turn around and deny other people that same mercy and compassion. So what does that mean? If it's 100% impossible to have received it and not be willing to share it, then what does that mean about us if we're not sharing it? Maybe we never received it. Maybe we need to come to a place where we finally realize I have not received the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of Christ. And what I've been doing my entire life is living a lie. Maybe that's where God has brought us to. Feel good to have read an entire book of the Bible, every verse of a a book of the Bible? Anybody, did anybody catch some verses that we missed? Anybody, anybody paying attention? Anybody, what verses did we skip? Three, what, right? Three, verses one, three, three. Look, 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 let's go back. See, the climax of this book is when God shows Jonah, listen, you're not willing to share the same compassion you've received. But the turning point in this book and what can be the turning point in our lives is found in the very first verse of chapter three. Listen to this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Look at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. you got to understand something, people. You have a God who is a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. He has left room for us to come back to him. Even when we've denied him, even when we've walked away, even when we weren't willing to offer the same compassion that we've been offered, we have a God who says, listen, I'll send my word back to you a second time. And if it takes it, I'll send it back a third time. 
And if it takes it, I'll send it a fourth time because I'm going to pursue you whether you like it or not. Whether you take offense to the gospel or not, I'm going to continue to present you with its truth. We have a God of second chances. And God's offering you that chance today. For every one of us, I guarantee you this place is filled with people who know they have gone to Tarshish when they should have gone to Nineveh. And today God has proclaimed his word. He has shown through Jonah that it is possible to turn and go away and yet receive the compassion of God and to come back to him. And God, for many people here today, is saying, here's another chance. And for some of us, it may be the 10th chance. It may be the 11th chance. And what God is offering you today is a chance to come back to him, to come to him. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the, the second. Listen, maybe you've walked away. Maybe you know you've been walking in a direction that you weren't supposed to. And that's keeping you from being the light of God to the world. That, 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 that we are just soaking in our own salvation, unwilling to share it with other people. And yet God says today, guys, listen, I'll give you another chance. That's a merciful and gracious and awesome and loving God who leaves room for repentance because he didn't have to do it. He could have taken us off just like a dry erase board. But he's given us a second chance. And here's the thing, guys. We didn't deserve it. There is nothing that we've done that deserves it. We have never done one thing that made God have to offer us another chance nothing and yet God gives it to us anyway he says I'm going to leave room because of my goodness and my mercy and my grace I'm going to leave room so that you can turn around and come back to me See, I I believe so many of us today are running from God as if we can get away from his presence but today we can come back. Today we can make up our mind. I'm coming back to Him. If you've ever prayed for God's will in your life, I'm going to tell you what that is, what God's will for your life is. He wants you to take the unconditional love that He's given you, and He wants you to share it with everybody. And He's promised that He's going to be there with you to help you. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to give all your money away. You don't have to go feed all the poor people in town. Just when you leave this building, just smile at somebody. Just compliment somebody. Just pat somebody on the back and say, good job. Start off small. It'll get easier. And if you get a chance, share the gospel with them. Share the good news.